Thank you, Cindy and kids, for that time. And I, too, am excited about fall. I know we do have some days of fun left here in the summer, but I'm looking forward to our fall schedule here at Maple Park Church. Lots of opportunities for uh, all ages to be blessed. So stay informed of all the things that are happening here and participate in some of these uh, meaningful opportunities to grow, to fellowship, and to serve others and to bring the gospel to others. I invite you to stand as we begin um, our sermon time. We're going to be reading a scripture from Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. Here the Apostle Paul writes to the church in the ancient Roman city of Ephesus. He says, submit to one another. I think that's, this is the key verse here, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but, in, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Here ends the reading. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, by your Holy Spirit, that you would guide us, that you would show us from your word the truths that you have for us to learn today. Give us humble hearts. Give us the hearts of servants. Give us the hearts of grace. I pray that the grace that you have poured out upon us would be displayed in the way that we interact with other people. So teach us today by your Holy Spirit. So in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
First slide, Ian. Sermon titled is Living as in, uh, in Christ as One. Living in Christ as One. And the illustration that I give uh, for this sermon series is, is the cross and Christ at the center. And in this, we learn that the, the Christian lives before all by grace. We live before all by grace. Our, our relationship with God is, is based upon grace. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So the Christian lives before all by grace. Vertical. We're brought into this right relationship with God by grace through faith. And also horizontally, uh, not only is our relationship with God a relationship that is based upon grace, but also our relationships with others should be a reflection of God's grace towards us. God has poured his grace into our lives, and God's grace overflows out of us, and it should define the way that we interact with others. So the way that you and I interact in our relationships, husband and wife, Parent and child, slave and master, should reflect the grace that has been poured out into our lives. John Piper says this, grace, grace is being treated better than I deserve. Grace is being treated better than I deserve. And that's, isn't that true of our relationship with God? is that he pours his grace out upon us. It's a, it's a favor that is not deserved, and that's the way that we should live in our relationships horizontally. Uh, in every relationship, we're called to treat each other better than each deserves. And as, as we study this passage from Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6, there's no reason for us to see an inequality or injustice in these passages. Because what Paul is teaching is that our interactions with one another are to be a reflection of God's grace towards us. And specifically, this gracious interaction with one another is defined by the word submit. Or the word submission. The word, the, the word submit has negative connotations within the American mindset. That, that word does not ring uh, in a positive way in our ears. But Paul says in Ephesians 5.21, Submit to one another, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I think the term submit rings poorly in our ears because we have visions of mistreatment and injustice. When I submit to another person, and in my mind, it, it means maybe uh, I'm going to be mistreated or taken advantage of if I submit. Or if I submit to another, I'm less valuable than they are, or not an equal with the person to whom I'm called to submit. And this mindset regarding submission to authority 
uh, which can lead to injustice, is, is justified because we've seen this happen within our world, that those in authority have lorded it over others and they have mistreated and taken advantage of others. Many people throughout the world today are being mistreated, subject to unjust authority. Mistreatment within the marriage, mistreatment within society, mistreatment of children. Submitting to cruel injustice isn't the idea that Paul had in mind when he wrote, submit to one another. But, but I think that Paul's words to the Philippians might help us. The concept of submitting is, is exemplified in the life of Jesus. Jesus really is the one who sets the example because Jesus submitted to the will of his Father. Jesus submitted to the will of God the Father Almighty. Now what we believe about the Holy Trinity is that the Father and the Son are equal. All members of the Holy Trinity are, are co-equal with each other. But we also know that there's a subordination within the Trinity. God the Son submitted to the will of God the Father. This is beautifully written by the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2. Next slide. Philippians 2 through 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. I, th I really think that this is the heart that Paul is conveying in, in Ephesians 5 and 6. When it speaks of husbands and wives and of parents and children and of slaves and masters. Philippians 2 through 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did Jesus do? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. To submit to the needs of the others, to another person, is to, is to give grace like Jesus gave grace. To submit is to, is to lay aside what I need. For the needs of my wife, the needs of my children, and the needs of those whom I have a responsibility for in whatever station of life. Husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters were called to be a reflection of Jesus' grace towards one another. And grace was needed within these relationships because within our sinful nature, we're prone to misuse authority. Or we're prone to view authority 
in a negative way. So first, husbands and wives. Husbands and wives. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now if Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 stood alone without the words that Paul writes next, it would sound like the woman gets the short end of the stick. Right? In reality, the wife should get the absolute best from her husband. Men, we fall short. We fall so short of the standard which Paul sets in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for the church. He laid aside everything for the church. And that's you. The husband is not called to view the wife as his property. Or to view the wife as lesser than he is. Or to view the wife as not having rights or worth. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. The husband is to cherish his wife, to seek the constant welfare of his wife, to listen to his wife, to nurture his wife physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Is the wife under the thumb of the husband? Is the wife under the threat of the husband? This is not the idea communicated in Ephesians chapter 5. In the English language, we don't have a word that fits the neutral tone of the Greek verb submit. But I think the best way to understand the idea that Paul is communicating in Ephesians 5, when he says, wives submit to your husbands, is to think of teamwork. Think of teamwork. Two equal partners working together with the understanding that a successful team requires a diversity of roles and good leadership. Maybe the idea Paul is conveying in the relationship of husbands and wives can be explained with an example from sports. Next uh, picture. Take the case of the pitcher and the catcher on a baseball team. Both are on the same side. Both the pitcher and the catcher have the same objective. Both want to contribute to winning the game, right? They're both equally important. But, but the things that they do are quite different, right? Usually, usually it's the catcher who decides what pitch should be thrown. So typically it's the catcher that makes the call of which pitch should be thrown. But listen to this. The pitcher uh, will, will most of the time will submit to that decision. But that doesn't mean the pitcher will never shake off a pitch. <laughs> You've seen it before, right? 
Catcher decides the pitch. Have you seen your wife do this before? <laughs> nope. Uh, pitch, uh, catcher comes up with another idea. Pitcher goes, nope. You ever seen your wife do that before? And that doesn't mean that there might not be an occasional conference at the mound. But in general, the catcher calls the pitches. And generally, the pitcher submits to the call that the catcher makes. Does that mean that the catcher is better than the pitcher? Is the pitcher inferior because he submits to the catcher's selection of pitches? Not at all. They both recognize that both can't be doing their own thing if they want to win the game. Someone needs to take the lead. That's the essence of teamwork and of winning. And this is how marriage works, too. The husband's role is to take the lead. More profound than the marital relationship of positive teamwork, the style of submission and love, is that, that the marriage is also a picture of Christ and the church. Grace, undeserved grace poured out upon the church. And husbands, you're called to love your wives. This, this grace, uh, the, the, this, this Christ-likeness should be poured out in every relationship with your wife and your children and with all people. Now wives, some would take and twist Ephesians 5 and say that you are to submit to anything from your husband. Now it's true that no husband's perfect. I'm not perfect, and, and I really am so grateful for the grace that my wife shows to me and the respect that she shows to me in the midst of all of the stupid decisions that I make. So we're, we're grateful for, for this grace demonstrated towards us husbands. But no woman should ever subject herself to abuse. If you or your children are physically, emotionally, or sexually abused, Get out. Get out. No one says your husband needs to be perfect, but there's a place to draw the line and to say enough is enough. And if you need help getting out of an abusive situation, talk to me. And it goes both ways. I've actually met men that have been beat by their wives. It happens. But I like how Paul summarizes the ideal of Christian marriage in Ephesians 5.31. In summary, Paul says this, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's the guiding principle. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband's. And husbands, loving your wife requires submission on your part. You need to submit to her feelings, her opinions. You set the tone in the marriage. And the tone is the sound of Christ-like love. Wives, to respect your husbands requires this positive teamwork submission on your part. You need to respect his God-ordained desire to lead the family. Parenting. Paul addresses marriage, and then he addresses parenting. 
Parenting is very similar to marriage. There's a balance of submission and love. And when the, the parenting relationship, when the relationship between parent and child becomes unbalanced, it's no longer a reflection of God and of grace. When it's all rules and no love, there's a problem. There's a problem. And when there's all love and there aren't any rules in the house, there's a problem. When a child doesn't have rules and structure, the household's a mess. Without rules in the home, the lives of children will be a perpetual mess because people can't function in the home or in society if they don't know how to follow rules. On the other hand, when a child has only rules and no love, that child will live with resentment. She'll most likely carry that resentment into adulthood. What balance does God's word give? Make sure you set clear rules at home. And make sure that love and grace supersedes all. That love and grace are the tone within the home. Because there's nothing godly or God-honoring about rules without love. In the same way the husband sets the tone for the marriage, parents set the tone for children. Rules and love, both are needed, both to be balanced. Then Paul talks about slaves and masters. Slavery was a way of life in the ancient Roman world. Something like a third of the population were held under slavery. And, and I want to say this right off the bat, that there is no justification of slavery of any kind. Slavery was actually uh, discouraged in the New Testament. Actually, the Apostle Paul encouraged one slave owner to receive back a runaway slave as a brother, not as a slave. Slavery was an unjust way of life for many people in ancient Rome. And then eventually, when Christianity became the dominant cultural power within the Western world, it was, it was the Christians that led the abolitionist movement. Why did Christians and churches lead the abolitionist movement in the West? I think I know why. Because, because the gospel of grace never leads us deeper into slavery. The gospel never leads us deeper into slavery. Actually, the gospel inherently draws us out of all forms of injustice. Every form of injustice within our world, the grace of Jesus Christ draws us out. So we too, as we interact within society, we should continue to set the example to lead the way to lead society further and further from cultural injustices, whether it's racism or, or things that we ha see happen within our own, our own neighborhood or, or around the world. Is that the gospel of grace ought to cause us to be a people that draw other people further and further out of injustice and into the light 
and the freedom of the gospel. Yet at the same time, Paul understood the reality that the church was living in. He, he, he wasn't uh, penning this letter uh, as, as, a, as a big call for, for, for a revolt of slaves. Rather, he was helping a small, humble church survive in the world that they were living in in that day. So Paul understood that the best outcome for slaves at the time was to submit to the authority of their masters. Paul understood that life would be much easier and humane for an obedient slave versus a rebellious slave. So he said, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. So in other words, don't view yourself as a slave to an earthly master. See yourself as a slave of Christ, liberated by Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bond servant or is free. World War II POWs discovered this principle at work as they were forced to be slaves by their Japanese captors. The Japanese forced many of the Allied troops to build the Burma Railroad. How many of you remember the movie The Bridge Over the River Kwai? There's other movies about it too, but, but many of these, of these World War II POWs discovered that if they, if they worked hard with a good attitude, that things went better for them, that they were treated better, and that life was more humane for them. And there, there is nothing that we can say to justify the injustices of what the Japanese did, or of what we have done within our own culture, or what the Romans did. But sometimes in life we're stuck in situations and in difficulties. And in that difficulty we need to show grace, treating others better than they deserve even though they really don't deserve it because of the injustice that they're dealing to so many people. Paul had a word for Christian slave owners too. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no, listen to this, there is no partiality with God. There's neither slave nor free. We're all one in Christ. There isn't a ranking in God's eyes. So many believers were stuck under the thumb of slavery, working for unbelieving masters, and Paul urges them to set the example towards their masters. And moreover, slave masters became believers too. And the Christian slave owner was instructed to treat their slaves as Christ treats them. And I have a hunch, because of the inherent nature of the gospel, I have a hunch that, that believing slave owners filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Word, 
would have this desire to emancipate their slaves. It was something that was common among unbelieving slave masters. And if it was common for unbelieving slave masters to set their their slaves free within the Roman world, how much more so would it be among believing slave masters? No doubt it, it would have been, I think, more common among those filled with the Spirit, filled with the Word, to seek the freedom of their slaves. Why? Because the Christian lives before all by grace. We live before all by grace. In the vertical, we're brought into a right relationship with God by grace through faith in Jesus. Horizontally, our relationships with others are to be a reflection of God's grace. The way that we interact and treat others should be uh, a reflection uh, of the love and the grace that Jesus has poured out upon us. What is grace? Grace is being treated better than I deserve. In every relationship, in every relationship, whether we're being treated justly or unjustly, this grace should pour out of our lives. It ought to define who we are as a church. Because Christ has poured out his grace upon us upon the cross. He shed his blood. He shed his blood for you because he loves you. And today you can know without a shadow of a doubt that you have the forgiveness of all of your sins. That you have new life. And he was raised. And by his resurrection, you can know that, what, that, that what, in whatever situation you're in today, no matter what the circumstance is today, that because of his resurrection, that you too will have the victory, Christ's victory, when we're with Christ forever in heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for your grace. May your grace so fill us and impact us that as we interact with with the world, the world cannot help but, but wonder what is different about these people. And then, Lord, that we would have opportunity to share the hope that's within us. Lord Jesus, working in and through our church, That this grace, this grace that you poured out upon us would also be poured out upon one another in our homes, in society, in the workplace. Lord, we ask that it would be grace-filled. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.